Welcome to the Legacy House Podcast. Our mission as a church is to equip people to know God, live free, and find purpose. We express the mission of our church through adoration, biblical teaching, creativity, and discipleship. We have prepared this message for you, and we know God is going to use it to minister to you wherever you are and in whatever situation you're going through. If you got your Bibles, go with me. Uh, go with me to Acts, Acts chapter two. Is where we're going to start this morning, and uh, we are in week three of our series uh, called "The House That God Builds." And uh, it's important because we want to make sure that as a church, we're really clear on what we're trying to build. Um, what we're trying to build is not just something that looks the part but isn't the part. Um, what we're trying to build is not just something that that feels spiritual but isn't spiritual. Um, what we're trying to build is not what we see as a good idea, but really what God desires for us to build. So we've been looking at a lot of different things. We started out on, on kind of on week one, really talking about the idea of ownership and what it means to be an owner. Uh, there's a big difference between owning something and just borrowing or renting something. In the, uh, it's kind of the difference between a, a fan and an owner. You know, there's a, the, the responsibility in the way of someone who just attends a basketball game is different than the weight and the responsibility of the guy who cuts the checks for the team. Uh, it's because there is an investment there. There's, a, there's an ownership there. And we handed out keys uh, uh, that, first, that first Sunday. And, and just really as a reminder, as an encouragement that you could put somewhere. And when you look at it, you will remind yourself of the fact that I'm not just here uh, to see what I can receive, but I'm here to really understand that God has called me to own. And then Last Sunday night, we got into some things that were really good, and I'm not going to go through it all again, uh, but I do, there's a couple like highlights for it that I, I want us to kind of recap again, because it really is important that um, we kind of get uh, on the same page as a church, because we are in a very critical stage and season of our church life. We're about, uh, I guess, eight months old, uh, seven or eight months old as a church. We launched on September 18th. Uh, of 2016. So we are, we're, we're just getting going. And at this point, it's just kind of like in a baby's development, the nutrition that a baby receives in that first year are so important to the long-term health and development of that child. It's the exact same principle inside of the church. The, 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 the nourishment that we receive, the, the development that we receive now really is setting the course for the next 5, 10, 15 years for us as a church. And uh, on, on the very first Sunday of March, we'll actually be our last Sunday of this series. And, uh, and we've got an exciting announcement that, we wanna, that we're looking forward to sharing with the church that day, just about the future things that God is leading us into. Because here's what I've learned about the Lord. I've learned that when I step out of the way and let him move in his own timing, he always does things that I wanted him to do, but never expected him to do. You understand there's a difference. There's a lot of things that we, there's a lot of things that we want God to do, but we don't actually expect him to do. Uh, we were like, man, that, wouldn't that be cool? And it, typically it's always either, you know, preceded or followed by that statement. Man, that sure would be cool. But when we get out of the way and we allow God to move, we begin to see him move in some pretty significant and dramatic ways. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to go today and we're going to spend a little time in God's word. But one of the things that we said last Sunday night was, who I build is greater than what I build. Who I build is greater than what I build. There's a difference between trying to build healthy people or build a big church. You understand that we can do one of two things. We can either build a big church or we can build a healthy church. You understand that the biblical principle is, is that when we build something healthy, that healthy thing will grow. 
And so when we begin to kind of shift in our brains, we do like a, a team rally before the service for um, all of our, our home team that comes early and serves. Like last Sunday, for example, our team set up Saturday night. They tore down after the service Sunday morning. They came back in at five o'clock, set up again. We had service at six, and then immediately after the service, they tore down again. Uh, so our home team is the, the real OGs, okay? Uh, but it's funny because we, we kind of get together as a team uh, on Sunday mornings, and, uh, and when we, when we kind of rally around each other and gather together, we have to understand what is significant about those times and moments. We have to understand that in that moment, we are really shaping kind of the, uh, the course for the entire day. And when we realize that who I build is more important than what I build, then we don't get distracted by all of this and we really get focused on those sitting next to us. We get focused on those inside of our community who might be less fortunate, who might be in need. I met with a guy um, uh, on, on Monday night, standing there in the line, and I was talking to some of the different people and one of the guys said, he said, man, I really appreciate you doing this. And he said, is this going to be something you guys do every Monday night? And I said, man, I said, we would love to. I said, I, you know, I don't know that we're, we're at the place right now where we could be able to do it every single Monday night, but we want to do it as much as possible. And he said, you know, he said, I'll be honest with you. He said, um, he said, I'm not homeless. He said, I work 40 hours a week. Um, he said, but I just simply cannot survive on the income that I'm making. And he said, stuff like this, he said, goes such a long way for me. He said, because on the way that they've scaled back on some of the food stamp programs and different things like that, he said, I just can't afford uh, everything inside of my household. And he said, so when someone provides a meal like this, he said, I just want to let you know that I'm grateful. And, uh, and it meant a lot to me because I think sometimes we can see the less fortunate as those being the ones who are less motivated. Um, and you know what? They just aren't really motivated. So we as the good Christians will sweep in and we will, we will dust them off and, and we'll feed them a hot meal. And maybe one day they'll get their act together. But you know what? For so many in our community, that's just simply not the case. Uh, they are in need, not because of a lack of effort, but because of circumstances in their life. And we have a responsibility as a church to really be the ones who will be willing to step out and to meet that need. So uh, you have, I'm not going to go back through the whole thing from last week, but uh, if you've never listened to our podcast, you can go to iTunes, search Legacy House, and all of our Sunday morning and Sunday night messages are on there. So I'd encourage you, I'd encourage you to catch up on that. So Acts chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading in verse 37. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. It says, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles and all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Verse 41 says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. There's an interesting part of that, that story that, that it's really, really great. Uh, and here's Jesus, or here's Peter. Peter just has preached this significant message. They have just recently uh, stepped out of the upper room. The Holy Spirit descended upon them. They all received the fullness, the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter steps out and he begins to preach this message, and he says, look, we're not drunk as you suppose, uh, but we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. We've been filled with power from on high. And, and really kind of you find this moment where the crowd responds back to Peter. 
I, I like my, the way that I read and, and, and like to study the Bible is I, 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 I like the questions. I like to see what the response was. Uh, it's one thing just to see like what we feel uh, or, or to find, wow, power came down from the upper room and there was, you know, uh, Reinhard Bonnke says that there was a flame with your name on it and like every single individual in this room received the, fil- the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We see this big dramatic moment, right, that we, we feel like that if we would have been there and we would have experienced it, we, we would have probably had no questions. But then you look down in verse 37 again, it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts, but they said to him and to the other, pro- other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Like, this is great, but, but what should we do? And I think that often we can kind of live in that spot in our own lives where it's like, hey, this is, this is great. I, I want to build the house God has called me to build. I, I want to walk in my purpose and in my calling and, and in the future that God has for me. But what exactly should I do? I think that's why we understand that there, there is such an importance in the teaching of the armor of God. And, and the responsibility of the believer to, to put on the armor of God on a daily basis. Because we have a responsibility to equip ourselves. To equip ourselves. It's interesting because in our lives and in the world that we live in, we often operate off of preference rather than purpose. We often operate, operate off of what we feel like we need in this moment rather than what is the thing that God is calling me to. And not just calling me like on a grand scheme or on a large scale, but in my daily personal life. I'm a pretty forgetful person, uh, just to be completely honest with you. Uh, I forget a lot of things. Uh, And my wife, for a very, very long time, has told me, hey, why don't you just write down the things, make a list, and when you make a list, it'll help you remember the things that you need to do. Um, I did not feel that this was necessary uh, because what might look like forgetfulness to you is really this super brain. And I just remember a lot of things and just some things slip through the cracks. And uh, I, I have really bad, uh, really bad ADD. And uh, some of you are like, don't profess it over yourself. Spend five, with me, five minutes with me and you'll understand that I'm not professing anything over myself. I'm like, oh, there's a squirrel. I should walk over there. Uh, and so uh, I... I, I I forget a lot of things. And one of the things I've started doing about two weeks ago, uh, I decided that I was going to take my wife up on this about eight-year-long suggestion uh, to, to, to write some things down. And, uh, and as I've written some things down, you know what has magically happened? I have started to remember so many things. Uh, my, my days and weeks have magically become productive. Uh, because all of a sudden now I'm not looking up at 3 p.m. saying, wait, I thought of something at 10 and I should, I was really, really important. Like there's nothing scarier as a pastor. I told Bethany this the other day. I woke up, I don't know what day it was. Uh, it was Friday and I woke up Friday and I was like, I've got an, I've got a meeting today with somebody that I know that I confirmed and I don't know who they are or where it is. And uh, that's terrifying uh, because you're like, last Sunday was their last Sunday. I don't know who they are, uh, but I were, and then sure enough, about 9.59, I got an email and I was supposed to meet somebody here uh, to drop off some records. And, uh, and they're like, hey, uh, which door do you want me to come in? All the doors are locked. I was like, five minutes away. And so like throwing on, like running out the door, trying to get there on time. And what happened was, it's funny because uh, I, there's, I've wanted to be more, uh, more diligent for a long time. I've wanted to be a good steward for quite a while. I've wanted to remember things, be productive, get things done, uh, really feel like I was not equipped most out of every single day. That's not been something that I have been against. But yet I was not equipping myself in the way that I needed to to accomplish what I desired to do. 
And I think for so many of us in our lives, there's things that we desire to do, but we have not yet fully equipped ourselves to reach the thing that God has called us to. And so here's Peter, and he preaches this amazing message. He just received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He's excited. He's full of life. People think he's drunk. He's so wound up. And all of a sudden, he's like, look, I'm not drunk as you suppose. He preaches this whole message as it gets done. And everybody says, hey, uh, so what exactly am I supposed to do? Peter begins to give them instruction. The Bible actually says that he went on to preach for a long time. And, uh, and he gives them, uh, gives them a lot of instruction on what they need to do. But then at the end of that, that, that verse, down in verse 30, 41, it says, Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. 3,000 people. The church grew by 3,000 people in one day. That is amazing. That's a good Sunday. <laughs> like, you're like Cracker Barrel on me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you're, you're, you're excited if you grew by 3,000 people in one day. Like, Peter's pretty pumped about this, right? Like, all of a sudden, here he is. Uh, he, he is leading the fastest growing in the first church ever in human history. And it's amazing because these people begin to be motivated to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. But they understood to be a doer of the word that there were some things that they were going to have to equip themselves with. I want to talk a little bit today about the equipment of a builder. I want to talk a little bit today about the equipment of a builder. Because it's important that we understand what God has called us to equip ourselves with. We can often talk about what we don't have, but what we don't see a lot of times, or what I haven't seen in my own life, it's easy to overlook, is that the things that God has placed inside of my hands has been given to me to help make a space. It's, it, 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 we, we have circles that are going on right now. We mentioned this last week, but we have, we have circles that are going on right now, which are our small groups. And maybe you feel like there's not a circle for you. Maybe then what God is really saying to you is not they don't have a place for you, but maybe God is calling you to make a place for others like you. See, it's super quiet in this Methodist church this morning, but here's what happens. Is that we're very, very comfortable with someone making a space for us, but we're a lot less comfortable with having to make a space for ourselves. You ever been invited to a large dinner? I get the, the, the moment I get the most awkward is when I go out to eat with a large group of people and everybody has to decide where to sit. I just, I don't know, I don't know why that type, that, that moment freaks me out, but it absolutely 100% freaks me out. I will always and every single time go to the restroom, whether I have to or not, because I'm like, I don't care where I sit, just I, I don't want to have to choose my spot. Because here's what happens when you're the pastor and you go out to eat, People read into every single thing that you do. So if you choose to sit here and not choose to sit there, then they're like, I knew he didn't like me. I knew he's never like, I'm not even going back. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I was Methodist. He said something about Methodist. I'm going back to be a Methodist. Like, whatever it was, like, we kind of create this environment. So, like, I, you leave. Like, I, I, and it's, it's the same way. If you go to a birthday party, a graduation party, um, a, a, a funeral, a wedding, uh, any public event where someone has to pray, as the reverend, you're going to be the one to ask to pray. Uh, anytime the food is about to be served and someone says, hey, can I ask you to do something real quick? Like, I always, I'm like, you want me to pray for the food, don't you? They're like, yes, because, you know, as a pastor, my food prayers are better than your food prayers, and God hears me more. Um, and, uh, and so, anyways, so I, I get really uncomfortable because I, I don't know where my place is. I don't know where my spot is. And I'd much rather someone just say, hey, Curtis, sit here, 
rather than someone say, hey, just sit wherever you want. I'm like, I've got to go to the restroom. And, I'll, and I come back, and like, no, people still haven't chosen. They're like, we're waiting on you. I'm like, that's the worst. Uh, because I just want to know where is my spot. But often God is really calling us to not just wait till our spot is made for us, but understand that he's called us to equip ourselves, the equipment of building a church. Look down a little bit further. In verse 42, it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place, shared everything that they had. They sold their property and their possessions. They shared the money with those who were in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible because what you don't find is you don't find a lot of super spiritual things. They laid, they laid out the entire building plan for the New Testament church in verse 42. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, meaning not only the Lord's Supper. So that I mean, they, they weren't just talking about communion. They were talking about all types of meals. They were shared in the Lord's meals and to prayer. So they, they committed themselves to four things, and 50% of the things that they committed themselves to was simply being together in relationship. That was it. Isn't it weird, right? Like, it's just kind of strange. It's kind of strange that you would think that the New Testament church would have something where they tried to recreate the upper room experience every single Sunday. They didn't do that. He didn't say, you know what we've done? We've rented out the upper room for the next six months. And every single Sunday, we're going to go up there and we're going to fast and pray until those flames of fire come down again and we see God move in power again. And then we're going to know that he's still moving and breathing on us as a people. No. The upper room was a moment. It was a moment that set them up for a lifetime. It was just a moment. I love the fact that the, the, the apostles in the New Testament church did not set up an idol to the upper room. They, they, didn't, they didn't enshrine it. They didn't make a memorial out of it in a museum and charge a $5 cover charge to go and see where the authentic apostles received the flame of fire. But we as Christians have done that with so many things in our own lives. We've done that with so many experiences that we've had from the Lord. Lord, we've done that with Israel itself. It's a tourist trap. It's no different than Alvin's Island. It's the spiritual Alvin's Island where there's a bunch of like, like kitschy memorabilia that we, 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 we receive because it's like, man, this is from Israel. The Spirit of God is inside of you. Why, why do I need a rock from Jerusalem when the living, breathing Spirit of God is operating inside of me? Why do I believe that this one little trinket can somehow, that contains some sort of supernatural power? If the early apostles and the first church didn't do that, then how ridiculous would it be for me to do the same? How ridiculous would it be for me to begin to idolize and memorialize something that even the early church who actually experienced it didn't do it? They said, look, that was great. 
But here's what we have to do to grow. He said we have to continue in the apostles' teaching, meaning that we have to be hungry to grow in the word. We have to grow in the word. We have to fellowship with each other. Just simply spending time with each other. We got to share in meals. Got to have somebody into your home. You got to be willing to go into somebody else's home. There's a big difference between everybody can like to play on their own terms. Well, you can come to my house, but I don't go to anybody else's house. I just get uncomfortable. Guess what? That's not what it's talking about. So that we share in meals. We share in the fellowship of each other. And then lastly, the fourth thing was prayer. I love that that's the whole strategy. Well, they needed, no, they didn't need anything else other than that. And it says that as they did those things, the Lord continued to add to their fellowship. Church without fellowship is just a company. Some of you have better relationships at your job than you have at church. And, 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 and that might not be your fault. You might have been in some environments and some places and some churches where relationship wasn't something that was a priority. It was more about coming, receiving, and then leaving. Here at Legacy House, relationship is a priority. Why? Because I know that I can't live my life on my own. I know that I have blind spots in my own life and that sometimes I need somebody else who's around me to be able to look at my life and say, hey, have you thought about this? I get it that you're not going to go to hell over it, but it could keep you from the purpose that God has for you. It might slow you down in your journey. And so we find these things, and, and, and we look down through this, and, and you get all the way down there where it kind of wraps it all up, and it says that they were being saved, that their fellowship continued to grow every single day. And I believe truly that this was because the disciples in the early church were able to equip themselves. They, they realized that there was some equipment God had given them, and they needed to allow it to become active inside of their life. I've got three things for you this morning, and, uh, and we're going to jump right into these so that we can, we, can, uh, we can move forward in the day. But the first thing is this. The first thing that we have to do, the first way we have to equip ourselves is with a plan, a plan. I've said it before uh, here at Legacy House. I used to say it to youth pastors all the time, that the only difference between a dream and a vision is a plan. The only difference between a dream and a vision is a plan. A lot of people have a lot of big dreams, but they have no plan for those dreams to actually come to pass. Therefore, it's just that, and it will always be that. It is a dream. But as soon as that dream gets paired up with a plan, there is now a tangible way for this to begin to be manifest in my life. There, there's now a, a clear-cut path for the dream that is in my heart to become an actual plan that God is moving through and in me. You honor what and who you are building by planning the progress. You honor who and what you're building by planning the progress. A plan honors the people around you. A plan honors God and what he's called you to. Because if we're going to equip ourselves, the very first thing I believe we have to equip ourselves with is a plan. What is, okay, so we say this a lot, but what is the dream? Okay, now what is the plan? I mean, like, let's take a moment to stop and, like, take a step back and think about this. What is the dream? Do you desire to start your own company? Has God given you the idea for a business or for a product? Has God placed whatever inside of your heart? What is the dream? Now, what is the plan? Well, I've had a lot of dreams. I, you know, Pastor Curtis, I'm, I'm, I'm older in life. I'm more seasoned in life. Okay. But in all of our lives, no matter your age, please let's not disqualify our activity based on our age. Let's don't, and that's both ends of the spectrum. Well, I'm just too young. One day, you know, when I get out of college, then, then 
then I'm going to go all, all like, you know, full tilt towards the Lord. Or me like, man, I would have, if I'd have been in this church when I was 30, I'd have tore it up. Well, that's great. But as long as you're on this side of the ground, we have a responsibility. We have, we have a, a, a burden. I believe we don't talk a lot in the church about burdens. We talk a lot about how the Lord is, is the lifter of our head, which he is. He, he, he removes the burden, that his yoke is easy, and that his burden is light. But the key thought in that verse is that there is still a burden. The yoke might be easy and the burden might be light, but there is still a burden. I, I, I get scared for myself when I feel like I might be walking around burden-free. Because if I'm walking around burden-free, there's probably a good, good, good possibility that I don't understand the plan that God has called me to. If the plan that God has given you is easy enough for you to accomplish it, it's most likely that your plan is not from the Lord. God wants to give you something so large that it is only possible with the help of God. He wants to inspire something and place something inside of your heart so grand that you cannot do it because you've got a large bank account. Your, your experience, your past, your ministry background, your, your, your spouse, your kids, your job, that won't open the door for you. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it will be God and God alone who brings the growth. But there has to be a plan. For us as a church in this season that we're in, we have to have a plan. Every day has to have a plan. Every week has to have a plan. Everything we do has to carry intention and purpose behind it. Why? Because of how we feed the church now will affect who we are five years from now. I met with a pastor this week, and uh, he, he's local here in this area of town. And He said, you know, he said, brother, he said, he said, this seems like a great place to have a church. He said, but the problem is, he said, we just can't grow. He said, people in this area just, he said, I don't know what it is. He said, either we can't reach them or they don't want to be reached. I thought about that for a minute, and we had a great conversation. We met for about an hour and a half, got all the way to the end, and he said, you know, he said, I believe that my generation has a lot to learn from yours. And I was like, well, okay. Like, I, I, not the conversation I was expecting to have. He said, because how we reached people when I was getting started is different than how we're reaching people now. And he said, before you think that I'm saying that we're reaching it with some sort of you know, cheesy kind of cupcake way now, he said, your generation, he said, has somehow understood the fact that what our world needs the most is a New Testament church. He said, what our world needs the most is, is not another grand scheme or idea or just hope. But what the world needs is a church. There has to be a plan inside of our hearts where we say, you know what? What? I now going to do? I love the fact that when they asked Peter this, they said, hey, um, so what do we do now? Great message. I, I'm, really, I'm really glad that you received, you know, a flame of fire on your head and you received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But what's the plan? That's essentially what they were asking. What is the plan? And then verse 42 comes along and he says, look, we're going to commit ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That is the plan. 
Let me ask you today, in your own life, what is the plan to get to the place that God has called you to? What is the plan to overcome the hurdles in your life that have held you back and continue to hold you back from the person God is desiring for you to be? What is the plan? Where is the area? Where is the moment? Where, where are the next steps to getting to the place that God desires for you to go? Often the plan starts with our own personal relationship. We can't cry about being far from the Lord when we're not setting alone and setting aside time to actually spend with him. We, we, can't, we can't get frustrated about the fact that God feels distant from us when we're living our life at the exact same speed, never, never slowing down for a moment to listen to what he actually has to say. I love the fact that so many verses in the Bible talk about be still and know that I am God. Funny because I'm the type of person, just to be completely transparent and honest with you, I'm the type of person who I like noise. I like noise. I just do. I, 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 I leave my house and there's noise. There's, you know, the girls are watching TV and there's babies running around bumping into stuff and biting each other and all the stuff they're doing right now. Um, you know, and just, and there's just noise. And as soon as I leave my house, I will turn on like talk radio. I have a sports guy that I like to listen to a lot and I'm walking out the door. I'm turning it on and I'll turn it all the way up and I'll throw my phone in my passenger seat and I'll drive and do whatever I have to do. And I'll even get out of the car with it still playing and hold it in my hand as I walk through the parking lot to whatever store I'm going in. And then I'll turn it off only because I feel like that makes me look weird when I'm walking around the store listening uh, to sports radio with no headphones in. You're like that guy, like, didn't that phone come with headphones? Yeah, it did. Uh, so like I walk around and I listen to this and I, I like noise and it's funny because I've been trying to intentionally in my life kind of cut out some of the noise especially when I drive because it's a great opportunity and a great moment just to kind of be in the quiet and it's funny because when we cut out the noise you realize that the world isn't as noisy as we think it is our lives aren't as distracted as they feel I've realized that I am the one who's in control of the noise in my life as easily as I can hit that button and turn that phone off and my car becomes dead silent, it can get really uncomfortable because then all you're left with is your thoughts. Mm -hmm. Typically, all you're left with is staring face-to-face -face with the plan. Because as soon as it gets quiet, the first thing that I think about is, yeah, but how am I? How are you, how are you doing, Curtis? I talk to myself a lot, a little bit, every now and then, just occasionally, <laughs> when needed. And you begin to think those thoughts like we all do when we drive in our car, and it's like, okay, but how, how am I accomplishing what God has called me to? Am I operating and executing the plan that he has for my life? Am I, am I becoming who God has called me to be? Second thing that we have to equip ourselves with, first of all, is the plan. The second thing is a permit. On every job site, every construction site, you have to have a permit before any construction can start. You have to. Someone from a governing body has to give authority to you, has to sign off that the plan that you have will actually work. Let me encourage you today to equip yourself with a permit. First of all, that permit has to be given by God. Is the plan that, has God, that God has given you, is it God's plan or is it your idea? How do you know that? Does it line up with the word? That's how you know. God is never going to give you a plan that does not line up with the Word of God. God is never going to call you to something that, he, 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 that goes contradictory to his, very, to his very living and breathing Word. 
We have to operate with a permit. Is there someone in your life who can look at you and say, hey, you know what? Uh, This is a good idea. You should go for it with everything inside of you. Also, you need that exact same person to have the liberty and the freedom to look at you and say, hey, if you don't stop, you're going to run off the road. If If you don't stop, you're, you're going to hit the ditch and you're going to wish that you wouldn't. And I know that's not your hope and your goal, but I'm telling you right now from looking at the plans, this isn't going to get you where you think it's going to get you. We have to equip ourselves with a permit. We have to equip ourselves with the permission of the Holy Spirit to step out and to pursue the things that God has called us to. Really, a permit is something that has been authorized by authority. It's been authorized by the authority typically of one who, who is not at the same level as us. I would encourage you that when you begin to look at the things God has placed in front of you, not to go to your peer or your best buddy to ask them what they think about it, but ask someone who is further down the road than you, who's experienced more things than you, who can look at it and say, you know what, I was there 10 years ago, and let me tell you the mistakes that I made so that you don't repeat them. Let me tell you about the things that I walked through, the challenges that I had that can hopefully save you a little bit of time in the journey that God is calling you to, in the thing that God has placed in front of us. Look down with me, or look over, flip over to Acts, Acts chapter 4, and verse 32. Verse 32, it says, All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything that they had. Verse 33, it says, The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing upon them all. You know what we understand about a permit is we understand the fact that just because something might be right doesn't mean that it's right for right now. Just because something might feel right, it might be something that God is actually calling you to, it's not just about is it right or wrong, but it's about is it right for right now? Is it right for this moment? Is it what God is calling me to in this place? And you look down in verse 33 again, and it says, And the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. I know that all of us in our life, we want to live in that spot where we can say, God's great blessing is on me. I can see God blessing my family. I can see God blessing my finances. I can see God blessing my job. I can see God blessing all of these great things. But the reason they were able to live under such blessing was not the fact that they were just supernatural Bible characters, but because they were executing the plan under God's permission. They were executing what God had called them to in the timing in which God had called them to do it. God can give us a lot of great plans, but it also has to line up with the timing that he has for us. The third thing that we see, the third way we have to equip ourselves is that we we have to be protected. We have to protect. It's interesting, like, there's a lot of job sites around here that are being built, different uh, commercial buildings that are going up, and you always see kind of at the front of the fence, they'll say that it's a hard hat area. And it's interesting that, you know, you wear, on so many job sites, you have to either wear a hard hat or steel-toe boots because you have to, you're kind of protecting those things really in your body that are almost the most valuable. If something falls on your head, it's the end of your day. Uh, and uh, the right thing falls on your head, it's the end of your life. Like, it, 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 you have to protect the thing that is the most valuable. And I believe that in our own lives, if we're going to equip ourselves, we have to be willing to protect ourselves. And I'm not talking about protecting ourselves out of fear, but talking about protecting ourselves at an internal level. There's a few things about this. The first thing that we have to protect is we have to protect our impatience. We have to understand when we're impatient and why we're impatient. 
We have to protect the plan. We have to protect the thing that God has laid us to. And we have to understand that by doing that, there's going to be some times that it's just simply not going to line up with God's plan and order for our life. And so we're going to have to just be okay with the fact that, you know what, right now is not the right time. The second thing that we're going to have to protect is we're going to have to protect our attitude. To understand that, you know what, just because I get frustrated doesn't give me the right to respond. Man, it's one thing to be frustrated, and it's another thing to respond out of that frustration. I'm the type of person who, when I get frustrated, I like to respond immediately. Because I like that moment. I feel like my feelings are the most true right then. I'm angry, therefore let me tell you the fullness of my anger. Like that, like that I, I feel like when I have that feeling, when I find myself in a moment where my attitude does not line up with the word of God, what I have to realize is that what God is calling me to then is not to respond out of what I feel, but to wait and to respond from the spirit of God. I have to protect my attitude. The third and the final thing is this, is that I have to protect against the attack. The Bible says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, when the enemy comes in, that's probably one of the most significant commas in the word of God. Because we often don't, we overlook the comma. And it's well, when the enemy comes in like a flood, yeah. And we, we create in our minds this picture of the enemy being this overwhelming force that consumes and saturates and dominates and throws us around like a wave just being tossed to the left and to the right and feeling like our whole life is spinning and it's out of our control. But the comma's there for a reason because when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord raises the standard. We serve a God who is not intimidated by the attack of the enemy. Therefore, as believers, we don't need to walk in fear of the attack of the enemy. We don't need to walk in condemnation over our past. That doesn't mean that you need to forget your past and act like it never happened. You'll probably never forget your past. But just because you can remember where you were does not mean that God has not forgiven you. The Bible does not want you, does not desire for you to live your life in this way that where you're a beat down, broken down Christian who's walking around with your head down because of the guilt and the shame that you carry in your life of who you used to be. Let who you used to be be the motivation for why you wake up today and give God the very best that you have. When we look back on our lives, when I look back on my lives and decisions I've made and things that I've done, it's hard to find joy in some of those moments. It's hard to see how did God, how, what was the point? The point was at some point I had strayed from the plan. I had decided that I wasn't going to equip myself any longer because I understood what God was calling me to. And I allowed my attitude, I allowed the attack of the enemy, and I allowed my own impatience to keep me and to hold me back or to push me to the side from the actual spot and moment that God had. And I hope for all of us, I hope for every single one of us, that we don't live our life in the manner of like, what is okay and not okay so that I can get into heaven. Like, this isn't about like a punch card, like, and once we get to the 10th punch, then we all get in. But it's like, 
How can I live my life to be more like the Lord? You can get into heaven without striving every day to live like the Lord. I know that might be a weird theological statement for some of you, but it's because there was a lot of people whose names are not mentioned in this word. There's a lot of people who Jesus called and said, hey, look, you can come and follow me, but this is the cost. This is what it means to be a disciple. The person was at Jesus' messages. Like he heard the sermon. He probably responded to the altar. He probably came down front and wept. He was moved enough that he was willing to actually go talk to the pastor after the service. And he talked to Jesus and he said, look, man, I got to go on the road with you. And Jesus said, that's great. Foxes don't have a den. Like, neither do I. Like, we got no place to sleep. We don't know where we get our food. You can't go tell your parents, bye. You got to go right now if you're going. And there countless people in the word said, ah, I just, I mean, that sounds great. But like, my dad is, is dying. Let the dead take care of the dead. That doesn't sound like Jesus. He's like, I am Jesus. He, he, he's like, I, I am Jesus. But he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, what you're, what you're missing is, is that there is a cost to this. There's a price that has to be paid. Me and Bethany were talking this morning. There's just talking about ministry. We talk about ministry quite a bit, believe it or not. And, uh, and uh, we we're talking about just the seasons of ministry and, and trends that you've seen in ministry and people who've led in ministry. And I said, you know, it's interesting because when you look back on all of these things, you realize that really, honestly, the people who have made the largest impact were willing to make the biggest sacrifice. When the price, when the check was given, they were ready to pay. And I want us to be the type of church that doesn't just live in an I'm going to get in mindset. And like I came to church and like, you know, I, I read my Bible like a couple times a month. And I, I, I tell people that I go to a circle even though I've never been. Like, I, I, like you know, like, whatever it is. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm in, a, I'm in a, a Marco's circle. I'm like, we don't have a Marco. Uh, like, you know, like, but like, I would much rather you just be like, hey, you know what? But like, I, it's much more, it's much more authentic when someone just says, you know what? Kind of in a weird spot. And I don't know what it's about, and I don't know why, and I wish I wasn't here, but I am here. God sees that, and he hears that, and he loves that. Because he's not needing you to put on a show trying to emulate your own perfection. He's just looking for someone who's actually hungry to know him more. And sometimes when you realize that knowing him more, what knowing him more means... When you want to know God more, you have to come to the realization and the understanding of what you don't know. We say, God, I, my life is a mess. <laughs> it's a mess. My attitude's crazy. My job's falling apart. My kids are fill in the blank with whatever your life might be. God is not intimidated by your struggle. But when we begin to be authentic before the Lord, we can actually begin to equip ourselves for the mission that he has. God's first and greatest concern is you. The thing that he matters more to him than anything else is you. He sent his son to die for you. If it had been only you, it would have still been you. 
the reality of that is mind-blowing. And it's not about living in this spot where we constantly feel unworthy. Guess what? We are always going to be unworthy. There's no, we are all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. You were a sinner when you came out of the womb. You didn't, you, weren't, you didn't become a sinner when you went to a party when you were 14 years old and smoked weed for the first time. Like, that wasn't the moment you became a sinner. So don't get it twisted. What we do is we begin to associate our actions with the reasons why we're a sinner. No, you are a sinner by flesh, not because of what you do. And so that's the problem is we begin to live from an action standpoint is because we believe that our actions made us a sinner. We also believe that our actions can make us a saint. And so that we live in this spot where it's like, hey, uh, you know, I did this and I was bad, but I'm doing this now and I'm good. You were bad because of something that you didn't do. You were bad because of the choice of someone else in a garden thousands of years ago. And you can be good also because of something you didn't do. Because someone sent a perfect spotless lamb to die and be sacrificed on all of our behalf so that we could be saved. So before we get this thing twisted and begin to think that it has a lot more to do with me and about the way that I actually am, you have to understand that your predicament was laid out before you ever arrived. But in the same way was your predicament, so was your answer. So we have a choice. Salvation is a response of the heart that begins to be manifest through the fruit of our life. And as it begins to be manifest through the fruit of our life, then what we see is I am not good, nor was I ever good, nor will I ever be good. But what I am is redeemed. I've been renewed. I've been transformed. I I can walk in holiness and sanctification. Sanctification is not just something that you decide on salvation day. When you come down to the front and you raise your hand and you ask the Lord to save you, whether you're driving in your car, you're in the restroom at work, wherever it might be, and you say, God, I need you as my Savior. Sanctification is not an immediate thing that completely happens in that moment. It's the journey in the process of working out your salvation like Paul did where he said, I crucify my flesh daily. I wake up every day. I said two weeks ago when we preached the message, and I'm closing with this, the band can come back up. I said a couple weeks ago we preached out of, uh, out of Hebrews chapter 11. And they've been preaching and been doing all these things. And the Jewish leaders in the Jewish church at this time, they begin to ask themselves this question. They said, but what, what does this mean, though? Because all of a sudden, they begin to see Gentiles. They begin to see those who were the furthest from the Lord, not just from a relationship standpoint, but from a cultural standpoint. They begin to see them being redeemed, blessed, and moving in the plan and purpose that God had for them. And it wasn't because of their pedigree. It wasn't because who their parents were. And it wasn't because the town that they grew up in or the Bible school or the VBS or the Sunday school or the denomination or the amount of good decisions or the amount of bad decisions. It's because the, by grace, through faith, they had accepted the fact that I am not good, but he is. I couldn't save myself, but he can. I've tried and it failed. I believe today that the Lord wants to equip you. He wants to equip you with a plan. He doesn't want your dream to just stay dormant, but he wants it to actually begin to be active and happening in your life.
We say it and we'll, we'll beat it like a dead horse. The things that we do like this, the outreaches that we do, the, the, we, in March we're doing a, a bookmobile and uh, we're going to transform the truck into a bookmobile and we're going to give out as many books as possible um, in, in low-income housing here in our city, take inflatables and pizza and give them away to kids. And, because we have a responsibility. But look, if we're torn inside of our heart, if you're discouraged inside of your heart, it's hard to ever care about the call. And I want to pray for you today because I believe there's some of you in here you've really been carrying some discouragement. You've been carrying some frustration. You don't know where it's coming from. It's just, it's just there. God wants to true up some things inside of you. Because look, He sent His Son for you. take a moment and not think about the world, not think about our city, and not think about our church. Let's think about you. How are you? Like seriously, not like spiritual. Like if I'm like, well, brother, I'm good. Bless and highly favored. Press that. I'm shaking together right now. No. Not the public you, the alone you. The scared you. The you that wakes up every day and says, I hope this works. That's me. That's me every morning. God sent his son for was you. And when you can be the healed and whole you, then you'll never struggle to reach the people God has called you to reach. You'll never struggle to reach, to fill the plan that he has for you. It starts with you. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. You can find more info and resources from Legacy House on our website, www.legacyhouse.life, or by following us on social media under the handle at LegacyHouseFL. Don't miss next week's podcast, From Our House to Yours.